no matter what 2012 was like for you, no matter what tests or trials you went through or victories, and maybe this was a banner year for you, maybe it was a mixed bag for you. The reality is, is that if you said yes to Jesus Christ, no matter what has happened to you, nothing will eternally affect you. Did you get what I just said? Did you get that? Did you get that? Nothing will eternally affect you. This is all temporary. This is all temporary. Success is temporary. Be careful of uh, your halo. Your halo can become your noose. Success is temporary. Sickness and sorrow. Sadness. Temporary. Jesus is eternal. And you're in him. Amen. Amen. Father, we rejoice in you and thank you that your son paid it all. He paid for our debt. He transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And even those who are listening to me today, if they haven't made that decision yet, the fact that they're breathing means that they still have the opportunity to say yes to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that uh, no matter what happens to us, as the Apostle Paul said in Romans 8, nothing can separate us from you. The enemy can try his hardest, but ultimately he's shooting blanks. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we're in you, we're protected by you, that uh, we're hidden in you, that you have been everything to us. And even though there have been moments this past year that we've cried and our hearts have been broken and saddened and fear and all of that stuff has cascaded down around us, praise God, we're still in you. And we're still standing. And we're still here. And you are still with us. We love you, Lord. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You, you, may be, you may be seated. Hey, I just got to brag on our, our church a little bit here. You see that cross back there? Yeah. Some of our members, thank you, designed that and donated that to us. And so we're just grateful to God for them. Just say thank you. That's wonderful. And, and the, the other thing is, I, you know, uh, if you've been coming to fellowship just within the last month or six weeks, you've seen the variety of different musical talent and stuff up here. It never ceases to amaze me the depth of our musical bench. I mean, it is absolutely wonderful. And, and again, I just want to praise God for each one of them. You know, we don't pay them. And uh, they, they commit to excellence. They're here late rehearsing on Thursday evenings. They come here early Sunday mornings to go over it again just to make sure that we can be ushered into the presence of God. And, and I got to thank you guys uh, for what you do. It is just, just really, really blessing, and don't take that for granted. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Um, and I want to read verses 10 through 18. Some might say I have a tad bit of an unusual uh, closing of the year message, but I'll explain that in a second. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. I've entitled my message today, Dressed and Ready to Go. 
You might say, Crawford, this is a, that's a little heavy passage. Well, I, I do have somewhat, some might think, an ominous message as we step into 2013. In recent years, I think we have underemphasized or uh, under, and I put quotes around this term, valued the role of the devil in our walk and our relationship with Christ. And I think uh, many Christians have been sideswiped and blindsided by the enemy's tactics and the reality that we're living in the context of spiritual warfare. Those of you who are longtime fellowship attenders know that I'm a, I'm a little bit leery of people who go to one extreme or the other when it comes to, this, to the devil. There is a brand and a bunch of Christians who so heighten the role of Satan that in a very weird sense, they're seduced into worshiping him. They don't mean to, but they give him inordinate attention. And I don't think we need to do that, but I don't think we need to go to the other extreme as well, where we act like he does not exist and that uh, we act as if his presence is not real. And I just feel led to give you this message as we launch into this next year, 2013, our church and our leadership, we have uh, some things in our hearts that we're believing God to do for us. There are some significant changes that will be made. There are some things in which we believe the Lord is leading us to do. And never forget this. If there's one thing that I've learned in all these years that I've walked with Christ, anytime you do what God tells you to do, expect hell to be unleashed. The enemy's there. He's not happy about spiritual transformation. The, the enemy's not happy about your growth and not happy about your development, not happy about my growth and my development in the Lord. There's a reality of warfare that we live in and that we need to be made known of, aware of. Now, I'm going to say this in a second again, but I want to say this. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18 is not to be read with shaking hands and fear. It is to be read with a smile on your face. Because this text is our confidence. It is our confidence. Paul did not write these words to scare us. He did not write these words to frighten us. He wrote these words to say, stand up and keep moving. This is our hope and our confidence. World War II, uh, on, uh, you may have heard this story, on a remote island in the South Pacific, uh, there were some Japanese soldiers there that had not gotten the word that the war was over and they lost. And so they were still fighting. Well, the bullets were real. Even though they lost, the bullets were real. And so it is with Satan. He was, he was defeated at Calvary. His power was broken at Calvary. His prevailing strength was broken at Calvary. When Jesus died on the cross in our place and for our sin and then rose again from the third day, he defeated the enemy. He defeated death. However, however, the enemy is still very, very active very active, although he has been defeated. His major attack, particularly among Christians, is to take us out. He wants to discourage us. He wants to divide us. You know, he wants to make us depressed. He wants to do all these things. And so he's coming after us with, with real warfare, real warfare. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. I carry with me in my pocket, and all, all the time, this is always with me, a very generous member of our church several years ago gave me this coin. It is an amazing coin. I use it to mark my golf ball with. It's really a conversation piece. It's illegal. It's too big to mark a golf ball with, but I want people to see it. It really has, it has really the, the, the wardrobe or the equipment that we wear as those of us who are in spiritual battle. It says, put on the whole armor of God on this one side, and on the other side, it lists what that armor really, really is. I carry this with me not as a good luck charm. I'm not into that. That can become an, an idol. But I carry it with me as a reminder, as a reminder that the enemy is not hiding, that the enemy is real, that he's around us, and that he seeks to destroy us, he seeks to do whatever he can to knock us out of the game. I want to walk through Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. I want to take my time and walk through this text because I really believe that this passage, although known by a lot of Christians, the truths of this text are virtually ignored by us. And yet here's how we win the fight and we win the battle. The way to hang what Paul is saying in this passage is it's very simple. 
Paul, and you can outline it either way. My son, my youngest son, preached a message on this, and we were talking about this text, and he gave me his outline, and I'd already put mine together. I said, you know, I'd have plagiarized if I hadn't. You could have saved me some work, boy. But uh, he talked about the exhortation, the equipment, the enemy and the equipment. I said, that'll work. And, uh, but I've outlined it this way. The warrior, the war, and the wardrobe. The warrior, the war, and the wardrobe. And I just want us to walk through this text and listen really closely to what the Apostle Paul is telling us. Again, he's, he's passing on um, the focus that we need to have as we're engaged in this battle. First, the nature of the warrior. Verse 10 says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And don't miss that. He says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. I think he's saying several things here, probably three. Number one, acquire his strength. Acquire his strength. Be very careful of Christians who always walk around talking about, you know, I say to you, Satan. I said, what are you going to say to him? What, what, are, you, what are you going to say? What, what are you going to do with the devil? None of us in here is a match for the enemy. Not one of us here. He will blow us away. You're talking about one of the highest of all the archangels. He is an angel, but he has supernatural power. So Paul begins not by talking about, well, you know what your background is and your experience may be and all of this stuff. He says, no, I want you to be strong in the Lord. Number one, you've got to acquire strength from him. Get your strength from him. Utilize the resources available to you. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later on because I think he unfolds that. I think the second thing he says is use his strength. Be strong in the Lord. This is a reference to our position in Christ. This is consistent in the book of Ephesians. If you go back to the first paragraph, or really the second long paragraph in chapter 1, he talks about in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Uh, We use his strength. It's not Crawford's know-how. It's not what I've done before. It's not the books that I've read. Neither is it you. You'll never win spiritual warfare if you think you bring a lot to the table. Our strength is not found in us, it is found in him. And then thirdly, he says, stand in his strength. Stand in his strength. It's interesting. I mean, Paul just repeats himself over and over again. And this is part of what the New Testament tells us. The primary way that the devil devil is defeated is by resistance. Notice he says in verse 11, stand. Verse 13, withstand. Verse 13 again, stand firm. Verse 14, stand therefore. I think Paul wants us to stand. I think he wants us to stand. And again, the word stand means to resist. To resist. Now, 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 now see this again. Connect the dots here. Connect the dots. He tells us that we're to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. My ability to stand comes from the strength of his might. I stand in the Lord and the strength of his might. And so my ability to stand doesn't come from my little cute Christian formulas, doesn't come from the things that I know, it comes from who I know and my position in Jesus Christ. He is the power that I have to stand. I am a wuss. I'm a weakling. I, I, can't, I can't withstand the devil apart from my covering in Christ. And you need to hear that. It's the strength of his might. And by the way, by the way, stand means to resist the devil. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. First Peter chapter 5 tells us, resist him, the devil, firm in your faith. And when you do that, the enemy comes against you and you don't move. And he begins to realize, I didn't, I underestimated what I was coming up against. That's the reason why, and I'm going to share some things at the very end of this message. That's the reason why fellowship, as a pastor, I, one of the things that frustrates me so much about some of you. I just got to tell you the truth. Some of you get the spiritual snot knocked out of you time and time again. You don't get it. You're lazy about your time in the Word, inconsistent in your prayer life. 
And a feather knocks us over. When are we going to get it that Christ is our life? You're not going to stand in 2013 unless there's a deep foundation. And that's the only way we can resist the enemy. This is no playground stuff here. I, I calls this past week things that, that happened in our body. The devil is real. And it's not a joke. Not a joke. Yet remember that he is with us. In 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 11 through 17, I love this story. Elisha's servant was really scared to death when he saw the army of the Syrians surrounding him. He go, oh, mama. I mean, it's just me and Elijah, Elisha. And this army is around him. And Elisha said, God, open his eyes. Open his eyes. And as he looked on the hillside, he saw chariots of fire surrounding them. So I want to give you, I want to give you hope here. There, for, for every demon that's around us, there are angels that are around us too. There's a very presence of God around us. And we don't need to be fearful. We don't need to be afraid. However, our keeping is not automatic. So therefore, we have to run and grab a hold of his strength. Well, that's, that's the warrior. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the war. He spends the bulk of his time talking about the war in which we, we are engaged. I want to look at verse 11 and verse 13 because he says something in these He says, he repeats himself in these two verses. He says in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God and then down in verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God. Point being in this text, he says, you do not have the privilege, Crawford, you don't have the privilege to pick and choose what piece of the armor you want to wear. This ain't styling and profiling. You, you, this, this is not selecting what you want. You have to pick up every piece of this armor. And if you leave one of these pieces off, you are vulnerable. Every piece needs to be picked up and every piece needs to be put on. This armor is given to us by God. He says, put on the whole armor of God. He bought the clothes. He bought the wardrobe. This is what he has designed for each one of us to wear if we're going to defeat the enemy and, and, and his attacks against us. So you put on the entire armor of God. It's given to us by God. And, and every piece, I mean, it, it, you needed to be successful in battle. Now, some of us think that our armor is better than God's armor. Some of us do. That's the reason why I'm a bit paranoid as a pastor, and allow me to, to go tilt a little bit in this direction. I'm a bit nervous about making sure that we have people who speak up here that will handle this book. I don't want people up here talking about the latest, uh, uh, you know, motivational stuff and the hot tips and the nice little topical stuff that we can do to navigate through life, because this is some serious business. It's not our armor that we put on. It is the armor of God that he's given to us. And it's not my opinions about the Christian life. It is not my strategies in the Christian life. It is not just a good advice that I get from listening to, you know, pop speakers and this kind of thing. That's not going to cut it. Now, it might help me feel better. It might motivate me for the day. But we're talking about substantive stuff. We're talking about spiritual warfare. And we're talking about the garment that God has given to us. And we need to put that garment on. You got to wear it. We're engaged in this warfare. Now, if we neglect to put a piece of the armor on, we're just actually saying to God, well, I I don't want to be protected today. I'll take my chances. Kind of like driving without a seatbelt. Go take your chances. You get T-boned and blindsided, it could kill you and maim you. And there are many Christians who have been maimed in their spiritual lives because of arrogance and pride and an unwillingness to submit to what God instructed for us to do. Now, having said that, I want to say two things about this enemy that orchestrates this warfare. Number one, the text says that he's a cunning enemy. Verse 11. Verse 11. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Look at the word scheme there. That speaks of cunning trickery. Cunning trickery. Uh, One of the things I've learned in life and learned through my own failures and being knocked off and knocked down by the devil is this. Evil rarely looks evil until it accomplishes its goal. Evil rarely looks evil until it accomplishes its goal. Don't you ever forget that. Rarely looks evil. It looks attractive, desirable, and legitimate. Satan almost always comes at us, first of all, in an indirect way. He almost always will come at us in a very indirect way, very subtle way. He's very incremental in in, in, in getting us off track. He doesn't come at us diametrically opposed to what we're thinking or what we're believing, where it's so obvious that this is wrong. That's his ultimate goal. But he comes to us very, you know, just, just, just very close to what is right. You know, young ladies looking for a man. She's a wonderful believer, but he's not. But he's very moral. Everything that she wants, you know, just good guy, good dude, really nice. So we do this evangelistic dating. Hearts are one. It's almost as if we're married. Let's move in together. Happens all the time. Happens here in this church. The enemy very seldom knocks us off with a frontal attack. Very seldom. Very seldom. I know I ought to be giving 10%. I will just do this. I'll catch up. And what ends up happening is that the fatal attack usually takes place when we're too weak to resist. That's when the attack, the fatal attack takes place. The headshot comes later. The revelation of who he really is, is when we have no strength whatsoever to resist. We've compromised. And so he takes us out of the game. I just want to tell all of us here, don't be spiritually naive. If it's wrong, it's always wrong. Don't compromise what is true. Don't compromise what is right. It's never just a little wrong. If it doesn't look right, don't fool with it. There are seasonal attacks. Strategic attacks and seasonal attacks. Where do you get that from? Look at verse 13. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. In the evil day. Now, some scholars have gone on to say, well, you know, what Paul is really talking about here is is the future evil day or this kind of thing. I don't think so at all. I'd look at the tone of of the paragraph itself, what he's talking about. I think he's talking about seasons of severe spiritual attack. How many of you ever been there? Yeah, yeah. How, how many of you ever been in a place, you know, your mind, you, you ain't thinking any bad thoughts or anything at all. It's just wonderful and everything's cool. And out of nowhere, you hit this stretch where your, your mind is going to crazy places. Or whatever it might be. And don't get lulled, in the, in, lulled to sleep. Some of us skip our time alone with the Lord because we're doing so good and having our own personal private worship time. We'll just skip a few days, 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 and then we get a spiritual cold and the enemy says, okay, here you go, buddy. How do you like that? There are seasons, and some of you are in a season right now. Two years ago, Karen and I went through a season all we could do is live in the moment. Live right now. 
And it's going to happen again. It's going to happen in my life. It's going to happen in your life. It's going to happen in this church. Churches have personalities. Churches have assignments. And there's going to be a seasons of attack in our church. We went through that in part of our history seven, eight years ago. And there are seasons, and this is the reason why the, the leaders here in the church and those of us on staff and, and the members in the body here, we've got to be consistent. We've got to have more beneath the waterline than we show on top. You've got to have more under the counter than you put on display. Because there are seasons, and some of us may walk into that season this, this year. Well, that's, he's a cunning enemy, but he's also an unseen enemy. Verse 12 tells us, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I've read some commentaries and listened to some people who've gotten more deep about this than I think what Paul is saying here. They say, well, you see, Paul is actually outlining the four realms of demonic activity. You could go there, I guess, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think, I think the bigger thing that he's talking about, he's just giving places where they work. The emphasis here is that there are demonic forces at work that permeate virtually every area of our existence. You hear me on this? Hear me on this. Don't you miss this. Don't miss this. There are demonic forces at work that permeate every area of our existence. They are under the power of the evil one. And they form a united front. Demons are everywhere. Everywhere. They're here in this church right now. They're in this service. They're surrounding all of us. Demons are everywhere. Evil permeates everything. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is in the context of spiritual darkness. The hell that was unleashed up in Connecticut, yeah, there are certain levels of human responsibility and this kind of thing. I don't want to be that superficial, but don't, 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 don't dismiss the presence of the devil himself. Those demons are on your job. Those demons are in your household. Those demons are among your family members. Those demons are among us. Now, they can't indwell us. My theology teaches me that they cannot indwell us, but boy, they can influence us. So the apostle Paul is telling us, that, look, you have an unseen enemy, and that enemy is everywhere. The word wrestle is a very interesting term that he uses. It's amazing. He doesn't use box where you hit at a distance. He uses the term wrestle, and it refers to the closeness of our struggle with the power of evil. The closeness of our struggle with demons. I don't know if you've ever had an oppressed mind. I don't know if you've ever been so overwhelmed by temptation that you thought it was going to destroy you. You know exactly what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about something out there away from you. He's talking about the wrestling that is there. It is this close contact. I wrestled a little bit in, in junior high school. And I tell you, where's you out? You're intertwined. And that's what he's saying. Look, 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 look. This is not at a distance. There's seasons of attack and they come at you. They're there. So he sets up the wardrobe. Builds this case. The warrior, hey, 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 don't go around here saying, be gone, Satan. By whose authority? No, no, no. You stand in the strength of your position in the Lord Jesus, and you draw upon that strength to fight the enemies that are there. Then he underscores the reality of the struggle. Here's the, here's the war. You, you, we got us a cunning enemy, and he is invisible. If you knew who he was, you can take him out, but you can't see him. He's all around us, right next to us. He works through our family members, works through our colleagues, works through us. He's there. Well, how do you deal with him? I want to suggest to you that he gives us, and I'm just going to briefly walk through this. He gives us seven pieces of armor here. Seven pieces of our wardrobe. The first five are the things that we wear. They're defensive. And the last two 
are offensive. So number one, here's, a, here's, here's what we wear, verses 14 through 17. And I'm just going to give a brief description of each one. Verse 14 says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, unlike what we think, we think a belt, when we say belt of truth, we think it's just a thick belt right here. No, no, no. He's thinking of Roman soldiers. It wasn't just a thick belt, but it was a leather apron that was attached to a thick belt that went down and protected the thighs and the growing area. There's another reason for that thick belt. It also caused you, you were able to fasten the loose parts of your garments and tuck them in. I think what he's saying about this is, is that, look, 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 truth is foundational. It's interesting that he begins by making a statement about truth because he understands that the devil is a father of lies. If there's a lie, there's a work of demons. If there's lying, there's the work of the devil. The Bible says that Satan is a father of lies. And what Paul is saying is that truth matters. Now, I think that this is truth not only lodged in the word of God, but truth generally, truth in all things. Make sure that there is a commitment to truth and tell the truth. Tell the truth. Truth matters. Evil cannot flourish apart from lies and the distortion of the truth. So he begins with truth first. Trim your garments, protect yourself, embrace truth. That's the reason why I tell parents all the time, all the time, all the time, do not ever, ever let your child get away with telling a lie. It's not cute. It is the foundation for satanic activity. In fact, that's how the fall came, by the perpetuation of a lie. Put on truth. Number two, the breastplate of righteousness. It was a piece of armor that uh, covered the chest uh, to protect it from blows and arrows. But as you consider how Paul talked about righteousness and justification in the book of Romans and the book of Ephesians here, it is really, what Paul is really saying is that we are forever secure in Christ and justified in God's sight. He is our righteousness. This is a statement of confidence. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Don't be shaky about your position in Christ. You got it. You're covered. Thank him for it. Keep that on you. It protects your heart. He can't, he can't get to your heart. He can't knock you out if he gives you a chest shot. You've got on the breastplate of righteousness. You know that you're in Christ. You know that you've been declared righteous by him. You are his child. You never stop being his child. You've been declared righteous by him. Thirdly, he says, put on the shoes. The shoes. <laughs> and as shoes for your feet, have, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Shoes, circle, gospel of peace. Shoes, gospel of peace. What is he saying here? Well, Roman soldiers wore what they call caliga. Caliga, what is that? It was, it was a half boot that was used in especially long marches. Oh, the imagery speaks for itself, doesn't it? it speaks for itself. What, 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 what Paul is saying here is this. The gospel gives us sure footing, number one. It, it gives us stability in life. But number two, he, he's saying just as this caliga, this boot was worn for these long journeys, life is a long journey. And bringing the gospel to wherever you are is your mission. It is the message that tramples and triumphs over Satan's kingdom. You want to give Satan a deadly blow, keep talking about the cross. You want to give Satan a deadly blow, keep telling people about how they can have a relationship with him. What he is saying here is just reciting the Great Commission. You just keep walking and stepping on the gospel, that's your foundation, and you share that gospel, the gospel of peace. He's contrasting that with enmity and warfare. Satan's kingdom is separated from God. They're at war with him. We're bringing people hope. And that's what you put on, on your feet. Says number four, the shield of faith. This is particularly emphatic here in the text. He says, 
in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. And the reason for that is so that you may be able to extinguish all the firing darts of the evil one. The Roman soldiers typically had two shields. One was a smaller shield that was used in hand-to-hand combat and very, very light. But the other one was the whole body shield, and that's what he's talking about here. It was a whole body shield. And when they got close to an area in which there would be fighting and there would be arrows, and what the enemy would do would dip the arrow in pitch and light it on fire. They would often drench these big shields with water. That's what he meant, that you might be able to quench the fiery darts of the enemy. So they would drench these shields in water, and they would get behind them, and it would cover their whole body, and they would hear the thud of these arrows, some of them sticking into the shield, but it wouldn't catch on fire. And what Paul is saying here, look, 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 you got to believe God, not theoretically believe him. He says, in all circumstances, not in your small group, not in your Bible study, not just in, you know, Sunday morning community and and this kind of thing, not in your men's fellowship or your women's fellowship. No, 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 no. Out there in the middle of warfare, in that household where all hell is breaking loose, on that job in which you're being unreasonably and irrationally attacked, in your own mind where you're being bombarded by thoughts and this kind of thing, whatever you might be under, lift up the shield of faith. Lift it up. It means to believe and apply the promises of God on your behalf, confident that he will protect us in the heat of the battle. And sometimes that's all you have. There are moments in the battle where you can't fight back, where you have to keep your mouth shut. There are times when you can't do anything, and you feel the heat. What do you do? You just keep believing. I'm going to tell you that you've heard me say this before, but listen to me, fellowship. Most Christians get discouraged because they're trying to uh, believe God for tomorrow or this afternoon. No, no. What, what he's saying is in all circumstances right now, you just got to believe him. You don't have to believe him this afternoon because you ain't in this afternoon. You got to believe him right now. You don't have to believe him tomorrow because you, you haven't seen tomorrow yet. You got to believe him right now. And sometimes you just got to hold that shield up and duck behind it. Keep quoting the promises of God and trust him to see you, see you, see you through. The fifth piece of this wardrobe is the helmet of salvation. Now, the helmet of salvation, the helmet itself was made of bronze and had cheek pieces to protect the head completely. And I think what he's talking about here is that he's speaking of primarily our complete confidence in our relationship with God, that we have been delivered and God has and will save his people. Let me, let me say it two ways here. I don't just think that what Paul is talking about in this text, some com- com- commentaries that I've read will just skew this to the side where what he's saying is that you put on the helmet of salvation, meaning the assurance of your salvation. I think that's true. But I think he's using salvation in a broader sense here, in a broader sense. I think it's the assurance in my head that I am saved and I'm going to be with him forever. But also the assurance that literally that he will deliver me. He will deliver me from the situation or he will deliver me in the situation or he'll deliver me through the situation. Whatever it is, he's going to deliver me. So it's salvation in its comprehensive sense. He's talking about not being intimidated. In fact, this is Pauline theology because he said that in Philippians chapter 1, in no means, by no means, intimidated or frightened by your opponents. So he's talking about a mindset. When you get up in the morning, you shouldn't go out there and think, oh, the devil's going to get me and I can't handle this anymore. I'm overwhelmed by my circumstances and what am I going to do? I'm not going to make it today. It's going to be overwhelming. He said, put the helmet on. Put your helmet on. You're going to make it. You're going to be fine. And I need to say that to somebody this morning. You're going to be fine. You might get some water in your mouth, but you're not going to drown. You're going to be fine. Put your helmet on. He saved you. Think about what he brought you through. You're saved forever. 
Think about the mess that he's delivered you from. Put the helmet of salvation on. Then he talks about the weapons we use. These other two. Verse 17, the last part of the verse. He says, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And by the way, the word sword here, you don't see it in your English text. It is not a long sword, but this was the word for sword that that, that, that was a short handle sword that was used in close combat. It goes, it, goes with, it goes with the fact that we don't engage in battle with the devil from a distance. It's always up close and personal. Remember, he said we don't wrestle with. He chose the word wrestle. And by the way, that's the only time in the New Testament that word is used is right here. We, we wrestle with the devil. You're up close and personal with evil. So you use that short-handled sword. You use it closely. And I think, I think there, there is, you know, I, I don't want to go get too deep here. There, there is a Greek word, uh, uh, the word of God, it's, it's a Greek word, rhema. Uh, it's used interchangeably, but I, I do think the interpretation skews this way, where he's talking about, when he says sword of the spirit, he's talking about a relevant word for your situation. A relevant word for your attack. My problem with a lot of Christians is, is that we're so blasted biblically illiterate we don't know what to claim for what situation. And so when he says, you take the sword of the spirit, you take that short-handled sword, and you know how to use it. You get a promise. You're under temptation. There's no temptation that's taking me such as is common to man, but God is faithful, not allow me to be tempted above that which I... Or you, whatever the situation it is, you get that word. It's appropriate for that. Jesus modeled that for us, didn't he, in Matthew chapter 4 when the enemy came at him. How did he handle the enemy? This is where I tell some of my friends who get a little excessive in their, and spooky in their spiritual warfare language. There really is a lot of pride. As a, I've heard Christians say, well, I stood up against the devil. Really? You did? I think he got you. <laughs> Jesus modeled that, didn't he? He, he modeled a, a, an approach. Now, he's the Lord of history, but what did he appeal to? When the devil came to him, Jesus, the Lord of history, didn't say, I stand against you. What Jesus did said, it is written. It is written. It is written. You see, the truth of God's word is a deadly blow to the enemy. So it's the sword of the spirit. We use that sword. And then second offensive weapon it's praying at all times. Praying at all times. Verse 18 says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. This implies several things, even in the midst of our battle. Number one, it implies an attitude at all times. Praying at all times. Our attitude is a prayerful attitude. When you're in the midst of attack, uh, the, sometimes the very last thing you want to do is to pray. You start trying to figure things out. But no, our attitude is to pray. The second implication is that it's a constant contact with God. Spiritual attack, spiritual warfare is a call to deepen your worship. Did you hear what I said? Spiritual warfare is a call to deepen your worship. It is a call into the throne room. Is a call to stand under the cleft of the rock. You remember several weeks ago, I was talking about Moses' surrender. You, you know what he was going through? He was under attack during that time. He was all by himself. He was alone. Remember that message? He was all alone. And God said, come here. He said, stand by me over here. And when you're under attack, don't run. Don't run from people. Don't run from God. Don't withdraw. Now is the time to run to him, praying at all times. And I think the third thing it applies is this supernatural supply line. God's power and miraculous intervention is available to you as we continue to pray. God, I don't know what to do about this. I don't know what to do about this child. I don't know what to do about this job situation. 
I don't know what to do about these thoughts that are just pulling me in the wrong direction. I don't know what to do with uh, these random things that I'm concluding. I don't know what to do. God, please help me. Please step in. I can't tell you the number of times that I've been driving down under attack and the tears flowing down my cheeks, pleading for God to show up. God, show up. God, show up. God, show up. And he does. Sometimes he changes me before he changes my circumstances, but he shows up. And so when you're under attack, that's what we're all about. All right, let me give you an application and we'll get out of here. So. In 2013, what do I need to think about? Crawford, this has not been a very positive message, and I was thinking about you giving me some nice, friendly goals. But this is a reality check here. I want us to put our minds around this before I give you six suggestions real quickly. Keep in mind that predators always prey on the weak. Predators prey on the weak. Predators don't want to deal with somebody that's going to fight back. So it is with the enemy. If you're weak spiritually, you're being set up. So the point being is don't be a sick soldier. And I want us to keep these six things in mind as we walk through uh, 2013. And this will be a gift to your walk with Christ, a gift to this church. Keep these six things in mind. Number one, pay attention to your weaknesses. Pay attention to your weaknesses. Whatever they might be. Because our weaknesses are the gateway for the devil to exploit. Whether you're a fearful person. Perhaps you have some weaknesses in the area of lust and whatever that might be. Maybe it's anger. But you need to pay attention to your weaknesses. Face them. Face them. Number two, I want to suggest to you, pace and rhythm. Say what? Yeah, pace and rhythm. I find that there is an unusual relationship between my, 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 uh, my well-being, my emotional, mental refreshment, and my spiritual life. Pace and rhythm is very important. Sometimes the devil has blindsided me, quite frankly, when I've been exhausted and tired. And frankly, when I've been exhausted and tired in ministry, I said yes to too many things. I am worn out. And before you know it, old sinful habits are right there on the surface, my impatience and reaction and all of that kind of stuff. And the way that I know that I'm getting close to an unhealthy place is when I stop responding and I start reacting. When I react to situations and react to people, that's, that's when I know I'm, I'm over the edge. And so I want to suggest to you, watch your pace and rhythm in 2013. Get your rest and refreshment. If you got hobbies, you got things that you like to do, that you park your brain in neutral, make time for those things that invigorate you. Number three, consistency is your friend. Consistency is your friend consistent around the right things. I don't want to sound legalistic about your prayer life or legalistic about your Bible reading, but we need to do better. We need to do better. Maintain a deeper reservoir of a knowledge of God's Word that you can call up to the surface when you're being attacked by the enemy. And then four, this is a biggie, obedience. Do what God tells you to do. We don't, read for, we don't read for information, we read for transformation. And the difference between the two is personal application and obedience. Do it. Change. Make it real. The fifth one is community. We're part of an army. Christians are dysfunctional if they're not connected with other believers. And I'm not just trying to promote our small groups. Yeah, I mean, great. But if there's another group apart from our church, I'd rather you be here, groups in our church. But hey, look, for your own growth and find that group. But we need to live in community because community gives us perspective and there's spiritual drafting and it aids our growth and relationship. And the sixth and the final one is this. Ministry. Ministry. What do you mean by that? Share the gospel. 
Make it a part of your life to look for opportunities to share the gospel with other people. And then the second part of that is serve others. It is in the giving of our lives away that makes the difference. Soldiers go through boot camp and receive training so that in the heat of of the battle, they can act with instinct. They don't have to think about it. They act with instinct. And I think that's why Paul outlined this passage. If every day we put on this armor, if every day we mentally dress ourselves, after a while it becomes instinct. And when the enemy comes after us and we don't have time to think, it's instinct. You stand. I'm going to pray, but I also, well, I'm going to do this. Is there anybody here that senses they're under severe attack? All right. I want to pray for you. In fact, I want to do this. This is all audible here. I'm not doing this to embarrass you, but everybody that raised your hand, I want you to come up front right now. A couple of weeks ago, I would have been up here with you. Just come on up, and I want some elders and other folks to come up to and surround these people who are coming. I want all of y'all to know I know exactly how it feels to have to function, to keep moving, sometimes giving hope and help to other people. You walk away, you're the one that needs the hope and help the most. So let's just place our hands on these folks, and you can extend your hand toward them, and let's just pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and your grace, and thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are with us. Lord, there are times in our lives in which all hell breaks loose and we don't know top from bottom, in from out. We get terribly confused. We don't know what to do. But Lord, in the name of your son, I pray that you will come alongside of my brothers and sisters who have come up here today. Will you whisper hope in their ears, Father? Will you whisper encouragement in them? Will you let them know that you won't leave them, that you won't forsake him? that you won't give them anything that they cannot bear, that you are the great burden bearer, that the tomb is empty and that you are with them. Lord, may they feel that today, Father. May they feel that. Will you raise up people to come alongside of them and to love them and to exercise faith on their, their behalf even when they don't have the faith themselves to exercise? Lord, may they be strengthened. See them through. And I pray that what the enemy meant to destroy them, you will use to leverage their lives to make an impact for the glory of God. Oh, great Redeemer, redeem these situations, we pray. Strengthen them. Bless this church and bless everybody that comes to Fellowship Bible Church in 2013. Lord, explode this place with joy. Your presence, strength, and hope, we pray. Dismiss us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.